Did you know that there are 8,000 total prophetic verses in the Bible? 23 out of 27 New Testament books mention the second coming of Jesus. And actually, the first prophecy concerning Christ Jesus is found in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There are 333 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. Only 109 of them were fulfilled at his first coming, and at least 224 are left yet to be fulfilled. You can ignore it, but it's not going to go away. Biblical prophecy. Approximately one-third of the Bible contains prophecy. Why? Because God in his mercy and his love and his grace, he didn't want us in the dark. And when it comes to end times prophecy, God wanted us to have a heads up as to future events. Not to scare us, but to give us hope. With so much of the Bible containing biblical prophecy, why isn't much of the church teaching it? Join me today as my frequent guest co-host and friend Sarah Broyhill Anderson returns as we discuss the importance of the study of eschatology. Eschatology is known as the doctrine of the last things. It's basically, well, it's end times prophecy. So Sarah and I are going to answer the questions that I just posed and share why there is so much encouragement and hope to be found when we study properly study end times prophecy and we will point you to the people and the resources that we and many others rely on for the study of end time prophecy because we want our brothers and sisters in Christ to have the hope that we know that we feel we want their faith strengthened especially as times get more difficult in the days prior to Jesus's return for his church and we titled this episode eschatology, one of Satan's best kept secrets, because Satan does not want people to study this. He doesn't want them to have the heads up that God wants us to have. He wants to catch people unaware. He wants believers to be found sleeping when Christ returns. He wants them full of despair and hopeless and to lose their faith, right? He he wants to attack their faith in God. He doesn't want the church to have any sense of urgency in reaching the lost and preparing their hearts. And that's a big thing with this, as Sarah mentioned over and over, is preparing our hearts. Satan does not want these things. He doesn't want unbelievers warned that something terrible and horrific is going to happen to them if they don't surrender and put their hope in Jesus Christ. I guess you could say there's a lot at stake when it comes to whether or not someone studies eschatology. And you know, in the book of Revelation, where God shares with us many details about future events, he starts it out with a blessing. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written on it, because the time is near. I hope you enjoy part one of this two-part series, Eschatology, One of Satan's Best Kept Secrets. Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where genuine believers are encouraged, empowered, and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be by contending for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his people so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. And in case you're thinking that you can't make a difference in your own little corner of the world, Yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hey, before we continue on with today's episode, I want to invite you to check out a family business, my family business that my family and I started 
It's called Veracity Apparel, and we have started a faith-based apparel store where we sell Christian t-shirts. We created this Christian t-shirt store for people like you who, like us, desire to stand firm in the Christian faith and boldly speak forth God's truths. Because, let's face it, we live in a world that has moved so very far from the truth of the Bible, and as you know, it's becoming increasingly difficult to proclaim those truths without being intimidated, harassed, or censored. So we figured there's really no better time to literally wear your faith. And the great thing about Veracity Apparel is that our t-shirts, well, they're unique because they're not about the usual uh, Christian sayings or cliches that you hear so much. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but we chose at Veracity to go deeper and focus on a more impactful message, designing the shirts to provoke thought, and not just to provoke thought, but also to initiate gospel conversations, right? And along with initiating gospel conversations, we can encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and exercise our freedom of speech. And we have all kinds of themes from apologetic to theological themes, but we also have patriotic and thin blue line themes too, because we like to support our our police force and and our country. Um, We don't have as many thin blue line and patriotic designs yet. We're working on creating more designs at this time. But the shirts themselves, they are comfy. They're sturdy. They're soft. We use Bella and Canvas, and we're really pleased with the quality of their t-shirts. And I just want to quick share with you, why we named it Veracity? We named it veracity because the dictionary definition of veracity is this, conformity with truth or fact, devotion to the truth, power of conveying or perceiving truth, or something true. And that is what we want to do. That is our goal at Veracity Apparel, is to convey the truth, God's truths. And another thing, we do not charge extra for larger size t-shirts, which many apparel businesses do. And free shipping on all of our products every day, all the time. So I hope that you'll check us out. www.veracityapparel.store. Check out the sizes, the colors, the styles. Every time you wear one of our shirts, we believe that you will be shining the light of God's truth in a very dark world. Who knows how many lives you might affect just by walking down the street or standing in line at the supermarket, right? So please, Check us out, support our business, which in turn is going to support this podcast, by the way. But check us out, www.veracityapparel.store. And now for today's episode. Hey, I'm back this week with one of my favorite people, and that is Sarah Broyhill Anderson. She is going to, once again, be my guest co-host today. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm well, Rebecca. Thank you for having me as your guest co-host. I love it. I love these moments. (laughs) Yes, I do too. I enjoy having, I enjoy being on here. Yeah. And if you haven't heard um, our previous episode together, it was a, it's a two-part series about apologetics. Actually, Sarah, I didn't tell you this, but, and I don't know why part two, but part two of unapologetic, unapologetically apologetic was the most downloaded episode I've had so far. Oh, wow. Yay. I'm clapping over here. That's great. Part two. Isn't that weird? But I don't know. But well, maybe anyway. part one got the word out. You know what I mean? And so more people tuned in. Yeah, but I was really um, quite surprised and happy to see that. So yeah, I did. I meant to mention that to you earlier. But today we're going to talk about the subject of eschatology. And actually, I've titled this episode, Eschatology, One of Satan's Best Kept Secrets, because... Um, well, you'll see why by the time we're done, how important eschatology is. But first of all, for those that aren't familiar with the term eschatology, Sarah, why don't you elaborate on that term? Well, eschatology means the study of the last things. And eschatology is 
um, throughout the topic of eschatology, I guess, is talked about, maybe not overtly called eschatology in the Bible, but it is woven throughout the Bible right off the bat in Genesis. It talks about um, the prediction of the Messiah defeating the serpents mm-hmm. through the uh, through Adam and Eve, right? The, yep. um, he, God says the serpent will um, be defeated by being crushed on the head while he bruises the heel of the seed of Eve. And so we know that that refers to Adam and our Jesus and Satan. And so we know, we already have right at the outset, Genesis, Genesis three fifteen, Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> we have a prophecy about um, God's plan and how it's going to be fulfilled. And, ex- and it unfolds exactly that way. Of course it takes couple thousand years <laughs> for that on the cross to happen. And now we're seeing the second half, right, of the unfolding of his promises and his covenant and all the prophecies. So yeah, it's definitely prevalent, one of the biggest topics in scripture. Absolutely. I have some statistics. I, I cannot talk today. I'd like to share with you. Um, they come from it's a book called The Prophecy Prose Illustrated Guide to Tough Questions About the End Times, and it's written by Jeff Kinley and Todd Hampson. Mm. Um, and I was listening to uh, Jan Markell's Understanding the Times when, when she shared this, but here are some very interesting statistics on prophecy. And it says that one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament contains prophecy. Mm-hmm. There are, there are 8,000 total prophetic verses in the Bible. 23 out of 27 New Testament books mention the second coming of Jesus. For every time the first coming is mentioned, the second coming is mentioned eight times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, and we just you just elaborated on this. The first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ is found in Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. 333 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. Okay. 109 were fulfilled at his first coming. That leaves 224 left yet to be fulfilled. So, um, I know the 300 prophecies, yeah, 300 prophecies are over 300 prophecies of Jesus's first coming have all come true. Now there are more that are going to come true regarding his second coming, or did I get that wrong? Yeah, no, well, it's concerning Jesus Christ total. There's 333, according to this book, 109 were fulfilled at his first coming. Okay. So yeah, there's lots more to be fulfilled in with, with the second coming. And and I'm not sure, like I said, these were the statistics that came from this given in that book, right. Th- anyway, that were given in this book, but yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I'll, so I'll add to that perspective because regardless if it's a hundred and whatever, or all 300 or, you know, there's, because right. we know that there are what, 20. Um, like you said, there's at least 2,500 prophecies in the pages of the Bible and, you know, most yeah. of them are true. But I think we were just talking about this just to give the listeners some perspective of the significance, because those numbers might seem small to us, like 300 prophecies. What's that, you know, or a hundred <laughs> that have already come true. The rest might not, or maybe all of them have it, regarding his first coming at least. Um, but there is a um, image. I guess an image that we could put in our mind, some imagery about how unlikely it is that any of those would come true. And if we just took extracted out of that, those hundreds of prophecies about Jesus's first coming and narrowed it down to only eight, so let's say that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. That comes from Micah 5.2, that the Messiah was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, very minute details were prophesied, right? About Jesus's first coming. And that was in Zechariah 11, 12, and 13, that the Messiah's clothes would be gambled away. Psalm 22.18, Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. Psalm 22.16, that Messiah's bones would not be broken. And from Psalms 34.20, that the Messiah would be born in the tribe of Judah, Isaiah 37, 31, that the Messiah would be called from Egypt, Hosea 11, 1, that the Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave. That's Isaiah 53, 9. Let's just take those eight of the hundred. And so I wish I could give um, credit to the person who came up with this imagery, but I can't because I don't know. But we, if they call in, we'll let them, you know, have the credit. <laughs> it, it's probably very, very, uh, it's not that new, you know, you've probably heard this before, but if we vision or envision the state of Texas, 
with, and it would take this based on a mathematician, a million trillion silver coins to make a two feet deep um, pool, I guess, covering the of silver coins covering the entire state of Texas. And if you marked only one of those coins with an X or something, and then mixed up all these coins, and then blindfolded a person and told them go scour the state of Texas in this two feet deep of silver coins and find that coin, the likelihood that he would find that coin is like zero, pretty much, right. But that is how accurate that's what it took for those prophecies to be fulfilled. It's that unlikely, but it would be like those prophets going out and finding that coin first try. I mean, that is significant. I mean, state of Texas is humongous geographically, yeah. two yeah. feet deep, a hundred million trillion coins. And you find the one mm -hmm. that is the weight of credibility that that gives the prophecies of the Bible mm -hmm. is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I think if people understand that while we're saying 300 or 2,500 total or anything like that seems maybe grasp, you could grasp that number. You really can't grasp the, the likelihood that they would come true like they have. Yeah, absolutely, Sarah. That's, that's some pretty powerful imagery right there, actually. I, I love that. <laughs> wow. Right? I love that imagery. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and speaking of statistics too, 30%. Okay, approximately 30, was it 27 to 30% of our Bible is prophecy. Mm -hmm. So if we're not studying prophecy, wouldn't that mean that we're missing about 30% of the Bible? I would say yes. But do you hear about <laughs> prophecy at church very often? No, and that's, that's why, why is the church not teaching it what are um i know there's a stigma around prophecy and i know thanks to some of your your wacko people your date setters and people like that you know um mm -hmm. have really turned people off this isn't about date setting it's not you know some <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. um but much of the church isn't teaching it and i can understand i'm, I'm sure there's pastors out there there's plenty that don't feel equipped Mm -hmm. And and I can understand that and I respect that. Um, but there are people who are that God has gifted with the ability to to teach it, to talk about it, to learn it, to, to understand it. Why not rely on those people? Whether it, you know, bring them in to speak, right? Exactly. There's plenty of videos out there. Like we have endless access to teachings from people like that. So the church isn't teaching it, bottom line. Um, what are some, let's talk about some of the negative connotations that people have when it comes to, to prophecy. What are some of those myths, Sarah, and how can we dispel those myths with facts? Uh, well, I think we should get to that. I want to talk about why the church isn't. Okay. Yep. To your point, I don't want to end on that because I think you bring up a super good point, Rebecca, that the church is not teaching it. And it goes into the myths. I think it's a good bridge between the fact that it's we're not hearing about it, that the church isn't being taught it. And so it's being reinforced that it's something that's untouchable or maybe um, taboo, right? Because if mm. you don't hear it from the people of authority on the pulpit, then you're going to not touch it in your private time. You're going to say, that's not for me. Or if they're not, if the experts aren't doing it or touching it, then why would I, I am not an expert in it. Right. And it just, it kind of undermines its validity mm. if they're not giving it any airtime. Right. And so to your point, I think that, and what I've researched and what I've, is that see the, the church is now, and tell me what you think about this, Rebecca, it's melding in with culture, right? It's hard to tell a Christian from an atheist today. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's Isn't that what's called kind of, there's Christians, what they call it practical atheists, right? Yeah. People who I'm, if I'm getting this right, I think it's people who claim the name of Christ, but they live as though they weren't Christian. Right. That's right. Isn't that practical atheism kind of thing? I don't it know. Is. Um, I, I like to call it cultural Christianity. Right. There you go. Mm -hmm. where you're, you're blending in. And so 
what is culture doing right now, right? And so that if we know what culture is doing, we know how the direction that Christianity is going, if they're going the way of culture. Mm -hmm. And that is there's a movement, and it's not necessarily a new movement, but with the modernism and postmodernism of critical scholarship, critical biblical scholarship. And what that does is it takes interpretation of the Bible, which we want to do by looking at the original author to the original audience, right? And the intended meaning in the original language with their idioms and finding out what he was trying to convey to the original audience and what they would have heard, what they would have understood. And you take that meaning first and we apply it to the present day. But what critical scholarship does is it reinterprets scripture in light of modern scholarship. Mm. And it, it takes uh, the perspectives and the knowledge that we have today, right? And reinterpret scripture from the first century and even earlier than that with the Old Testament and uh, uses what our techniques, our methods of interpretation and, uh, and takes the Bible and, and really changes, changes it. And mm. so they see they don't see miracles happening today, right? That they're very skeptical of miracles, that's culture. And so now the church has become skeptical of miracles and prophecy really is a form of miracle. And so it's a supernatural thing to know in advance what's going to happen. And so this critical scholarship that has come from the secular world into biblical interpretation has cast a shadow on prophecy. And so a lot of the reason why we don't hear about prophecy in the church today is because of the tainting of culture and the movement of critical scholarship that causes us to be skeptical of any literal fulfillment. And so that is kind of a set. And so then that contributes to myths, right? As mm -hmm. what you talked about. Yeah. What would you say are some of the myths of, um, well, I guess, let's see. I, what really stuck with me was several years ago, I had a pastor say to me, we were talking about the study of prophecy, and he said to me, well, we really don't address that in church because there's so much that we just don't know. There's so much symbolism and, you know, that um, because nobody really knows what's going to happen. Basically, he was saying it was a waste of time mm. um, that they weren't even going to bother to do. And I was like. Uh, okay, but um, so yeah, I, I think, and you're mentioning like this. I, I think some of the biggest for some people is fear, mm -hmm. in all honesty, especially with end the end times prophecy. I think there's a certain level of fear, not in necessarily teaching it, but people wanting to hear it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, I've use this analogy with you before it's like the proverbial ostrich you know an ostrich sticks that sticks his head in the sand think about that ostrich with his head in the sand he can't see or hear what's going around him his world is dark mm -hmm. um he is vulnerable he's vulnerable to attack yeah. no discernment to what's going on around him so anything could happen to him he's certainly not going to be prepared if something's mm -hmm. coming his way that he might need to be prepared for or defend against or, or whatever. Um, and so prophecy, just because we choose to ignore it out of maybe fear, doesn't mean that it's going to go away. Yeah. The events that are happening and the events that are yet to occur are not going to go away. But the thing is we want to be, well, first of all, there's hope in prophecy. There's a lot of hope in studying prophecy. You realize the hope that, that Jesus has, depending on where you're at with God, right? <laughs> Whether you're an enemy of God or you're a child of God. But um, for the Christian, I guess I'm specifically talking about, there's hope. There's so much hope in all of this that um, it's, go there, as your book says, that I do want to mention again later, the, that the best is yet to come. We can see past the big picture, we can see the big picture and realize that the best is yet to come. Yes, we might have to get through some difficult times, but God has promised to be with us through the fire, not to take us around the fire, right? But to be with us through it. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, that was a really long, <laughs> no, a long drawn out thing to, to, to that. But I think fear is one of the, the things that keeps people away yeah. from prophecy. And then again, that, that you, you're crazy 
people that are just, you know, oh, the end of the world is coming on July 24th. So let's all gather at the mountaintop or, right. <laughs> you know, people have done that before, obviously. And then, uh, well, that's a mis- been, been wrong. <laughs> right. The mis- so there's interpretation and in, in being aware of prophecy. And then there's a misinterpretation. Yeah. But, but that can turn people prophecy. off, right. From, yeah. from prophecy, yeah. they, they associate those things and say, oh, you're or doomsday. You're just not- doomsdayers. That's, I know. That's what they associate that with too. Um, yes, there is a doomsday coming. Unfortunately, there is one coming and it seems to be pretty near. Yeah. Um, but again, depending on whose side you're on, <laughs> yeah. um, it's a different, it's a different ending. Amen. But I don't know. Those are just some of the things that I think deter people from yes, learning so about much. prophecy. Well, and to the point of the extremes, you've got the date predictors on one side, and then you have the complete avoiders on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. And so neither of those positions are going to prepare us for what's coming, right? The the date predictors are leading us astray because we prepare. I mean, I remember, and I was a young woman, I didn't have children yet. I was working and I had a commute in the Northeast uh, and on high on interstate 95. Anyone who's listening, who's up there knows how traffic can be heading toward New York city, right in my commute. And so it got pretty bad. I was going with everybody else. And if you didn't take the train and so um, I listened, I wanted something. I was really renewing my commitment to Christ but I was still pretty green, right? And na- naive. And so I li- I found a radio show and I'm going to name this guy because there's no reason why not. Uh, Harold Camping. If anyone out there knows who I'm talking about, I don't even think he's alive anymore, but he had an, a radio ministry and it, it played traditional hymns. It gave some Bible studies and then he would talk. And I just was a captive audience commuting right in the morning and then in the evenings. And so in the evenings, especially he had a talk show and I didn't know a lot about prophecy then, but he, I guess, and I didn't know this had predicted that Jesus Christ, this was in the early two thousands. He predicted that Jesus would return in 1994. Hmm. I did not know that he had done that. I wouldn't have listened to it. Right. 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 Yeah. But and of course I'm here. I'm in at least 2004 or five and I am going, Hmm. But it really caught my attention when he, well, I didn't know that. Right. And I heard him say that his prediction was he was going to, that Jesus was returning in 2011. And I, I thought, I didn't know uh, what's the scripture. And I think it's Deuteronomy uh, that, you know, the pro- true prophets, their, their predictions have to come true. Other than there are You'll know prophets. that they're from God. Yeah. It's, yes. Yeah. And so I didn't know that scripture yet. And I thought that's odd. You know, I kind of was a little skeptical, but then a, a caller called into his show and said, you are leading people astray. What are you doing? You already predicted that it was 1994 and it didn't happen. And blah, blah. And I thought, Oh my goodness, who am I listening to? And I clicked off. Do you want to know how, what he was telling people to do is like, leave the church. And so he, people were leaving the church in droves to prepare for their, their physical lives, to save their physical lives because all this stuff was going to happen. And they were doing things and giving up their jobs and giving up their savings and giving up all this to prepare for these two events that didn't happen. Right. Because of course they weren't going to happen. The Bible says, Jesus says, you know, no one knows the date or time that I'm returning. And so anyway, there's just a little aside about a, a story of how people who predict the dates really do us all a disservice. Those with, with real genuine hearts that want to know truth and to do the right thing and prepare. Right. But they prepare in the wrong way. And then you've got the people who are so scared that they don't want to even, and they're afraid that, you know, prophecy. And so then they're not, they're the ostrich. They're the ostrich you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Right. And they Mm -hmm. are not going to be prepared when it, and that's told in the parable of the 10 virgins in the Bible, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Five were prepared with oil, five were not. And the Mm -hmm. door to eternity was shut on them forever because they were not prepared. Yeah. But then we have what Jesus wants us to do about Mm -hmm. prophecy. What is our, what's the proper response to prophecy? 
And it is to prepare our hearts. Amen. That's where we need to be. So if you're on one side, I don't ever want to talk about prophecy. It's made up. It's weird. You know, there's no such thing as it's like magic and there's no such thing. That's not true. And I don't want to predict a date because I'm afraid I'll be wrong. Well, you don't have to. All you have to do is prepare your hearts because Mm -hmm. if you prepare your heart and you repent, you forgive everyone that's wronged you and you ask God for forgiveness so that he can forgive you and you accept Jesus as your Lord and savior. And you continually focus on those things that are beautiful and pure and righteous. Right. And you, you be a light to the world for Christ, just out of response for your salvation, you're preparing your heart. You will be like the virgins who have the lamps full of oil and the door mm-hmm. to eternity will be open to you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just setting the stage for our discussion, because this is really more of an apologetic approach to prophecy and how it's used to substantiate our faith. But if you're scared and you don't even want to listen to this about prophecy, don't be. Use this as an opportunity to prepare your heart for Jesus's return, because it's mm-hmm. prophesied or his first coming was prophesied too, and they all came true. So you can better believe that this, his second coming will come true exactly as it's foretold as well. Yeah. Well said, Sarah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and I just want to backtrack a little bit because you were saying how this guy was telling people to leave the church. And right mm-hmm. away, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. And then it says, remember, especially as you see the day approaching. Well, how are we going to see the day approaching unless, right? So we need to be in church together. We need to be encouraging one another, looking for the day and like you said, preparing. I love that, you know, preparing our hearts. What? one of my t-shirts there that I design, it's, I just was working on one last night. What would Jesus find you doing when he returns? Amen. What will Jesus find us doing when he returns, Sarah? Um, yeah. Hopefully, you know, living, living for him, um, sharing the gospel. Yeah. The good not news, holding but, grudges. I think it's yeah. overlooked. Not be yeah. holding grudges. We must forgive. That's yes. a huge stumbling block for believers, you know, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and non-believers, of course, but. Oh, absolutely. Forgiveness yeah. isn't, it's, it's tough. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy, but it must be done. Yes. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, even the hard things. Yeah, absolutely. Those hard things. But yeah, no. Okay. Sorry. Back to prophecy and how it's used to support our faith. Right. Cause I think it, you know, we now know we don't have to be afraid of it. So now what, mm-hmm. what's the purpose and, of prophecy? Well, first of all, it, it says, that God is who he says he is. He does what he says he will do. Um, it, it shows the sovereignty of God. God is in control. He has the, the, the end plan from the beginning. Right, right. Um, God is who he says he is. He's a supernatural well, God. That. He's a God of miracles. He's a powerful God. He's a sovereign God. So you just um, referenced Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. It says, remember the former things long past for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which had not have not been done. And that reminds me, that's the opening. I'm going to, we'll have to share that um, YouTube video about the signs of the times. I know that they say the times. Of, no, I call it the times of the signs. That video was excellent. And we'll <laughs> that share is a yes. You, yeah. Yes, listeners, you have you have to check out that video that Sarah put together. Um, I got I had goosebumps watching it. Honestly, that and was I think that that was back. Uh, let's see, I posted that at the during the pandemic. Yes, so over a year ago. Um, wow. But of course, it just goes over scripture. But that scripture is one of the first ones that um, is op- that it opens with, and it just yeah, it's powerful. It's, it, it was it's, it was very yeah. powerful. Um, yeah. But yeah, it kind of gives you an overview. And then you see these things happening, right? Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. Mm-hmm. Not that we're not predicting anything here, but we do want, if there's an urgency, prepare our hearts, right? Well, so urgency. Um, a lot of people say, and I've, I've had this said to me, and you and I were just discussing this before we started recording, you know, come on, chill out, because They've been saying this for years. They've always believed that they were in the end times and that, you know, Jesus could return any minute. And I I know a lot of believers, those that do study prophecy, hear this. And sometimes it's hard to form 
a response to that. What is a pretty quick and easy response when you have your, I call them naysayers when they say something like that? I say, well, you've been predicted as well <laughs> because they have been. And Matthew 24, and I know there's a, a, and Mark talks about this as well, but he says in the end times, there will be scoffers. Mm -hmm. And when people scoff against the prophecies of God and say, basically, or mock them, that's another way, uh, you know, similar interpretation of scoff. When they basically make fun of people who believe that the prophecies of God are going to come true, maybe based on other people who misinterpret them and they didn't come true or people who predict a date. And then of course that's not going to happen. Um, they've been predicted as well. So they're fulfilling prophecy by doing mm -hmm. that kind of mm -hmm. turns the argument around, you know, mm -hmm. and I've had to use other people I love because they too say, well, you know, they cast doubt and it's okay because to require those who are digging into prophecy to dig a little deeper and make sure that we know what we're talking about or that we have a, a reason for our hope in this prophecy, right? And not just mm -hmm. um, make believe. I, I don't fault them for their questions. Questions are good. Yes, the absolutely. Is, right? Scoffing is different than questioning. Mm -hmm. And scoffers are predicted. Jesus said there will be scoffers. So... Yeah you know, they are part of the whole puzzle. But what's, what's different right now than all those other times? Like one oh, of the yeah. things that you talked about is things are converging. Yeah. Right. We are able to say and see things that no one, any other time has been able to say or see like, like Jan Markell loves to say, she goes, everything that's happening is tribulation esque as she calls it. Oh. It's cast. The tribulation is casting a shadow on the church on us. One example um, with this pandemic and the vaccine mandates. Okay. And, you know, I think it was in Australia. They actually use the words. You will not be able to buy sell a trade. Now let me get one thing straight. No, the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. There is no beast right now. You need a beast to have the mark of the beast. Is but it's a practice run, you know. It's, it's a warm up um, because words are being used now by our government leaders that are in the Bible, are in prophecy, and and mm -hmm. things are happening that are going to happen in the tribulation. But it's going to be the Antichrist who's laying out these rules. But it's like we can see for the first time in history that things are running parallel to the tribulation like they never ever have before ever. Yeah. Imagine when you're in an airplane and you're at 60,000 feet or whatever, you know, the airplanes fly at and you can't see the ground. Mm -hmm. You can only see the clouds, but as you come for the landing, things start and things start rapidly coming into focus, right? Those little, you know, I like flying over the planes and you can see the different crops and how they're all squared off, you know, and it's like a patchwork quilt. And that's right. all you can see. You don't see the people or the roads or the cars and you get closer and these little miniature cars are driving and even smaller people are walking, you know, and then as you get closer and closer to landing, those people get bigger and bigger. And then you actually, when you're in it, you can't see that big picture anymore. Now you're in it, right? And it's hmm. very, it's very detailed, but you're landed. The plane has landed, right? And mm -hmm. now you're in it. You're the same size and smaller than those things that seemed so small to you when you were above them. <laughs> and we're coming into a time like a like we're landing the plane. And we are going to lose our perspective once we get too deep into it we're going to be enveloped in and those things that we could see 30,000 or whatever uh, point of view, we're going rapidly going to come into focus and then we're going to lose that focus and we're And if so, if we don't know what we're coming into, we're going mm. to get swallowed into it and it's going to be imperceptible, right? It's going to be hard to know right from wrong because we're going to be part of it. Does that make sense? And so we need to now, as we're coming rapidly, you know, the planes, they land real fast. We wonder how they're ever gonna, the brakes are ever going to stop us. We're approaching rapidly and where things are coming into focus rapidly. And so we need to see how they all converge 
like never before in history. Um, and I talk about it in, the, in my book, The Best is Yet to Come, and I wrote this in December of 2020. That was right after like the pandemic, right? So it was mm -hmm. just we're coming out of it. But about the vaccine mandates and where they're heading and scripture, I'm not saying that this is the mark of the beast at all, but the science and the patents that are out there right now. We have the technology yeah. for the mark of the beast. Well, yes, sure. we, yeah. it exists. It exists right yeah. now, but mm -hmm. also so how, what's the mechanism for putting it into place so that it fulfills the prophecy in Revelation 13, right? It's mm -hmm. there through the patents and the laws and the, the systems of government that they're setting up. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are landing. And so we need to understand, we have to be made aware of these things so that once we land, we won't see them anymore for what they are because it's going to be part of normal everyday life. Yes. Right? yes. And so it'll be hard to go. Why is that bad? Unless we see them from above and where you can only really see the whole big picture, you know, right. And yeah. the details, enough detail of it right before you land. Yeah. You're just, because my mind, first of all, you're blowing me out of the water with your analogies. Okay, <laughs> I, love, I love them, love them, love them. But as you're talking, I'm thinking about the cashless society. Yes. Um, and for a lot of people in their head, it's going to be, but this is great. This is technology. I can just show my face, show my retina or a thumbprint or just swipe my phone. I don't have to do anything to pay. And for, for a lot of people who are unaware, this is just like a great technology that's going to make their lives easier and more secure. But we know that this is how the Antichrist is going to follow your every move and keep you in line and keep you from buying, selling, or trading. Amen. Um, this this is being set up for him to have his complete, you know, he's going to rule the world. Um, going to make Hitler and all the other Mussolini and all your other horrible people look like angels. Um but but there's that that analogy there where you're saying it's when you're looking at it from you know the scope of up in the plane and you can see it a little yeah it's almost like if, thing if you're too far away like they were hundreds thousands of years ago it you you almost miss it and you can predict incorrectly right because yeah. you're like and because you can't see it you're too high in the sky right but it's when, right when the convergence when you start seeing everything together but you're still above it you're not quite in it and that's mm -hmm. where we are right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, you see yeah. how it all comes together. Right. And we don't, we, if you don't know what it is, once it becomes part of everyday life, normal routine, normal society, right now it's not normal. So we're able to see how it differentiates. Mm -hmm. But once it becomes normal, you're on the ground, you're just in it. And it you, it's going to be real hard to say no and to follow the Bible and not be deceived. Well, because it's, and it's happening so quickly, Sarah, I don't think I'm, um, even the experts, the people that I've listened to over the years, they are shocked as I am. And as you are, I'm sure as to how swiftly this is taking place. And, and it's always echoing through my head, the Bible, you know, where it says, and suddenly, mm -hmm. and suddenly, because everything has just been suddenly. And I, I know all the pieces have been put into play over the years, and that's why it was done like this. So we can't, Satan works that way. Mm -hmm. You can't see it at the time because you're so busy in your life with other details. Um, but the, the stage was being set and now all the players are on the stage, all the props are there and it, the curtain is ready to, well, you could say fall or open depending on how you want yeah. it, right? You want to look at it, but um everything that's been was set up right under our noses, but that we weren't paying attention to now that you, it's there. So you can't help, but see it unless your eyes are closed. Right. Um, and your ears are closed, but yeah, it's, it's there. It's in our face and it is different from before. Um, I, we were talking about Israel. Mm -hmm. Let's backtrack a little bit. To um, because I think that was the thing that really thrust us forth was was that fulfilled prophecy, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Want to talk about that? A little oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I love the scripture that talks about the fig tree, mm. right? And so 
It's in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it, right? And he talks about it as in timing of his second coming. Cause the, you know, it's Matthew 24 and the uh, other scripture throughout the, it, that's parallel in the other gospels, especially Mark, the disciples say, what are the signs that you're coming? Right. They want signs. They want timing. They want to know, which is all of us. So nothing's changed, but <laughs> he's gives symbols and he gives signs that will proceed. And one of those is he uses a symbol of the fig tree and says when the, and I'm paraphrasing here, but when the fig tree, when there's buds on the fig tree, you know that summer is near. And so will be the coming of the son of man. And so what is that fig tree? You know, well, mm -hmm. you compare scripture, scripture, you do some exegesis, which is, you know, you interpret the Bible properly. And the fig tree is a symbol of Israel. And so we know that in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed in Israel, right? Yep. We know that uh, there have been, has been, the sacrifices ended then and they have not been restored. We also know, and this is all predicted in Hosea too. We talked about this a little bit pre-show, right? Um, mm -hmm. Rebecca, they, they have no sacrifices. They've been scattered. They've been persecuted. They have not been fully restored to God since their basically rebellion. And they continually rebel. We know that, right? Just like all of us, we have Christ who then bridges that rebellion with his blood. But I guess what I'm trying to get to is the fig tree, the buds on the fig tree mean that coming back to life, coming back to restoration with God. And that will be one of the things that they wanted was their place of rest. And they got that um, in Deuteronomy is where it was recounted when they were given the promised land that was there, the place of Israel, right? The land of Israel, which was very detailed, precise boundaries and parameters of the nation of Israel, the promised land, the land of Canaan was given to Israel as their place of rest on earth. Well, that was taken away from them. And then it was restored. Do we know when it was restored? In 1948. It was restored to Israel and they became a nation once again. Therefore, in 1948, those buds on that fig tree started to bloom. It was a new now again nation. It was not new at all and that it survived and it has been resilient throughout time, mm -hmm. but, and has never gone away per the covenant of God that it never would, but it, its official nation has been recognized since 1948, the buds on the tree. We know that summer is near right? And then the harvest. So we are coming to a time where within one generation of that, it says Jesus will return. Now that's open to interpretation, right? right? It's yeah. One generation, right? And so we don't know necessarily a, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. I'm not saying it's a thousand years. It might be, yeah. Yep. yeah. Whatever he, he, his timing is a mystery, but we know it's soon. And so yeah if let's just say one generation is a hundred years, because the life of a person, you know, in back in Genesis, 120 years now, more or less, not exact, <laughs> clearly some probably live longer, a lot live less, but he wasn't going to have 900 year old people anymore is what he meant. So yeah. we know that a generation could be, could be around a hundred years. And again, we don't know what God is necessarily talking about here as far as generation. We we're good 70 years. We just had the Jubilee, you know, from mm -hmm. I think 1967 when they almost were destroyed again, right? The six day war, but they were mm -hmm. supernaturally saved. And there's lots of different uh, prophecies, not lots, but there's prophecies in the Bible about how that nation will almost be destroyed again and God will supernaturally sweep in and save them. Yeah. So yes, Israel is our, uh, what is that canary in the coal mine? kind mm -hmm. of, you know? And so when it starts giving signs, we know, and it is, yeah. it is. So well, is it's, it the, it's the center point of the world, basically mm -hmm. bi biblically, yeah. right? It's where mm -hmm. Jesus was born. Mm -hmm. um, it's where Jesus is going to rule in the millennium for a thousand mm -hmm. years. So it's also where the Antichrist is going to set himself up. But when they say all eyes are on, on Israel, th there's a reason why like prophecy, Everything yeah. is centered around the nation 
of Israel. But I'm um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you that's exactly that, no, you didn't interrupt. Absolutely not. It's perfect. What you said is perfect. So yes, it is Israel, all eyes on Israel. And we need to take heed of that prophecy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. two, I'm, I'm thinking about Donald Trump. Re, um, Jerusalem now officially, as it should be, recognized again as the nation's capital. Again, because this is where this is <laughs> going to be. A lot's going to happen from Jerusalem. Um, the Antichrist, you know, he's going to rule there yep. for a while during the tribulation. Um, so, yeah, more more preparation again for yeah what's what's ahead so i mean we have yeah. the convergence of factors with technology and the mark of the beast right we have the convergence but i'm not saying mm -hmm. it's there or that mm -hmm. i do believe it's there but it's not it, it's not being um yeah disseminated let's just say you know there's yeah. other factors that have to come into play but they're also being prepared like as well, far as like well, the world mm -hmm. currency and stuff yeah. yeah the great the great reset right they're going to completely redo everything economically right. here and you will own nothing and be happy. They're telling yeah. us. Right. Um, That's all setting the stage for oh, all yeah. of what is predicted for the end times and what has to happen for the antichrist rule. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we just have to be aware, not only that prophecy has been fulfilled to a T so far, hundred percent, one for one ratio, one for one prophecy mm -hmm. given prophecy fulfilled. The rest of those prophecies about, a, you know, not very many that have yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled the same way. And they have to do with this, right? The second coming of Christ. We need to be aware or else yes. we shut out of eternity forever. Thanks again for joining us today for part one of Eschatology, one of Satan's best kept secrets. I really hope that this has given you some encouragement, maybe some inspiration to look into the study of eschatology. If you haven't had the opportunity or, or been interested in it, or maybe just felt that it wasn't important, it is. It's very important, or God wouldn't have shared so much of it with us if he didn't think it was important. So be that one little candle this week. Check out the resources that Sarah and I have provided so that you can begin to learn about how all the events of today are pointing to the very near imminent return of Jesus Christ. So that sense of urgency will sink in and you can prepare your heart because that's what God wants for you. He wants your heart prepared for when Jesus returns. That's what God wants for you. You'll be that one little candle and you'll be shining your light in the darkness. Until next week, you take care and God bless.